Holy Madness is brought to you by JewishCoffeeHouse.com Ich verstehe nicht. This podcast cures athlete's foot, took 20 pounds off my selfies, and made my pagonias bloom. Without Holy Madness, I never would have passed my driver's test. And welcome to episode six of Holy Madness, the show. Today's episode is about prayer. And we're going to kick it off with a special guest. Say hello and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Sarah. Says who? Me. Sarah. Do we get a last name? No, not really. It's a secret. Ooh, secret, Sarah. All right. Oh, well. Let's and start here. First question is? My first question to you guys is why Why is prayer important to anyone? Why? I, th- I think what I'm trying to ask is why would anybody pray if the prayer isn't what gets the things done? Uh, why should I pray about something that I could just go out and start trying to do it? Yeah. That's a good question. Normally, you get a couple of easy ones first, no? <laughs> I think that's great. I, I mean, it almost launches us into the end of the podcast. Right, and she just goes straight for the jugular. Yeah. So, why do people pray if they should just be off doing something? Well, I'd answer a question with a question on account of a genetic condition <laughs> <laughs> of being a Jew and I would say, what about things you can't do anything about? That's a good question. You're so Jewish. <laughs> My mother would have been proud. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, I, what sure. I mean is this. If, if, if somebody's like prayers are simplistic, you know, God, uh, get me dressed or something. So, yeah, obviously, just get up and do it yourself. Okay, that was a bit of a joke. But, you know, I don't know. God. Uh... Actually, I want to jump in here. Because I think the more interesting case is when you can do something about it, then why would you pray at all? And in my case, I actually do talk to God as I'm putting on my clothing because I do the Birkot HaShachar. I do the morning blessings. As they come up, right. As they come up according to the Rambam. Yeah. So when I... Malbi Sharumi. Right. When yeah. I put on clothing, I you know, basically bless God for clothing the naked. Wait, but isn't it me clothing myself? You're putting it in reverse. I think the question had a presupposition involved, which was prayers about requests. And you're describing praise, which is a very different thing. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah, what well, do you think of praise, Sarah? Well, I think it's I think it's a good thing to train yourself to think in a way of thanking God for your abilities to do different things, like getting dressed in the morning, which not everybody can do. Tell me about it. But <laughs> you tell me about it. Yeah. At any rate, that that was a really good question, so we're going to stick you right back on the hot seat. What do you think about praise? Well, I think it's great to appreciate what you have. I think it's also great to know what you have and not not to think too much of like, to not overrate things that don't mean much. What does that mean? To give meaning to things that don't actually have it. For example? For example, I would say that, you know, every, almost every every little thing we can just take and give meaning. I don't actually have an example in my head right now, but... I, I'll give one. Maybe you'll tell me if I'm accurate or not, but you know the old stereotypical, you know, you're, you're, you don't like what mom made for dinner, right? Yeah. And, and she yells at you to finish your plate because there are starving kids in Africa. And my reaction was always like, so? Send it to them. (laughs) Right. But but more importantly, like, you're trying to make me feel a a, a wonderfully Jewish mix of guilty and and lucky. Oh, look at all this leftover food. Are there still starving children in Europe? Uh, Try Southeast Asia, Ma. Robbie, baby wants to send her leftover pot roast to Southeast Asia. And I'm just, that's not my life. I can just as easily point to, you know, a rock star and be like, well, I don't have that. I want to be a rock superstar and live long. 
And you're going to tell me, well, you shouldn't compare yourself to others. Well, that should work both ways. So to make it into this whole, like, I'm so lucky because I have this and I have that. And then, you know, if that's the case, then do it in reverse. Well, you don't have this and you don't have that. You wind up giving this, like, you know, God is so graceful and giving because I have food to eat. And I have a home and other people don't. I'm like, right, but you have one home and you rent it. And, you know, the I just saw this today, a few days ago, the Saudi prince owns a 50 like million dollar house outside of Paris. Well, I don't have that. Yeah. And if, if the fact that I have a home is meaningful and the fact that I don't have that home is too. Well, you just made bad decisions. You should have been born a Saudi prince. Well, the truth is people, you know how it is. You, you, you're, you're in the dorm, like high school, college, and everybody talks about how they want to make their millions. Mm-hmm. And guys like, oh, I want to, you We know, didn't talk about that in college. You weren't doing the right drugs. Mm-hmm. I didn't talk to many people in college. Okay, that's another perfectly acceptable explanation. <laughs> <laughs> but when we were in yeshiva, this would come up all the time. You know, like, uh, first it was how much money do you really need so that, like, you're set. And guys would throw out, like, ludicrous sums. Oh, 100 million. Oh, I wouldn't settle for anything less than 50. And be like, I think I could do with, like, three. It's enough that you don't need to work and you can live on 40 grand a year for your whole life and leave some over. So I would be fine with that. And then it would be like, okay, so whatever your number was, how are you going to make it? And guys would talk about this kind of business and that kind of thing. And and my answer was always, I want to earn it by inheritance. <laughs> and my lazy parents do not know the meaning of working hard. And that's why I don't have my millions. So I think that you both are dancing around the idea of prayer as constructing a subjective experience. I'm going to praise so that I feel this certain way. I'm going to compare myself to starving kids in Africa or to the Saudi prince so that I feel a certain way. And I'm not sure that's what it's about at all. I don't think it's what it's about. But I do think, for example, it was designed with those things in mind across, I would say, most religions. To take small examples, um, the... The Lord's Prayer. Well, I was going to go with just the the surah, the form, without even getting into the words, mm-hmm. where you have, you know, in terms of the communal prayers, so there are things everyone says together, there are tunes, there's this uh, sense of awe and grandeur that comes into it. The experiential is a big part. While you're davening in a bomb shelter <laughs> next to guys who can't figure out how to tie a tie. I mean, they aren't wearing a tie in Israel in the first place. Right. Right. Well, yeah. But that's actually one of the things that I find really interesting about Jewish communal prayer is that it's a community made up of individuals. Everybody's off doing their own thing, and this is what creates the communal sense of it. Mm -hmm. Sarah obviously has a very different perspective of that on account of being on the other side of the curtain. Yeah, I would say. Tell us about that. Well, first of all, I would say that there is a side of prayer that I don't like at all because not the part of asking for something. There's a part of appreciating what you want, which kind of keeps you stuck sometimes where you are. Like, you don't aspire to new things. You don't. Oh, wow. Oh, that's an interesting thing. I was listening to the podcast, and one of the, like, there was a really, really big switch that Mm. flipped in my brain that was not who am I, but where am I? which was really interesting for me. Yes! Like, like it actually was a paradigm shift or a paradigm death or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) We'll take both. One of those was like 50 points bonus, and the other one's like, you win and are promoted (laughs) to the major leagues. I I did think it was like... We should. This is awesome. (laughs) But the problem is, the ones she's on, she doesn't listen to. Oh. We'll make you a semi-permanent fixture on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> well, actually, you, you bring up this idea that the things people aspire to are linked to where they are right now. And they can often miss the forest for the trees in which they're so focused on the thing they want, they miss all the other things they could have. Hmm. That's interesting. 
You said it. Yeah, in other <laughs> I'm words, agreeing that yeah, it's interesting, no, but... <laughs> in very different words. One of the things we did in preparation for this podcast was flip up onto Mary Simcha's Facebook page a simple question, what is prayer to you? And we got a bunch of responses. We, we, I put it on the Facebook page because I was starting to be at a loss for how to approach the topic. So I thought, right. hey. But I managed the process. I stood there and pointed and barked orders at myself. <laughs> so we. You barely even liked the comments. I did click like on some of them. Good job. See, once again, we are a team. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that people constantly brought up, what Mayor Simcha and I jokingly uh, titled chiropractic prayer, because mm. everybody kept bringing up this concept of realignment. Some people talked about realigning themselves with the divine will. Some people spoke about aligning your intentions and motivations with the divine some people mentioned realigning your soul with the highest truth but that word realignment kind of jumped out at us and so we jokingly grouped them under a heading of chiropractic prayer and what you just said i found fascinating because it would be the the pinprick in the balloon mm. to such a conception of prayer yes yeah, sarah's sort of the opposite extreme from in a way in a way because the truth is in a way she's complimenting it and in a way she's throwing it out of whack that was an official chiropractor term is it yeah yeah your back is out of whack that's really yeah that's how they say it it's like in the in the in the textbooks oh yeah yeah i would know <laughs> Because the, the way she's complimenting is... He's a social worker, ladies and gentlemen. He knows everything. But I'm a chiropractic social worker. Ooh, he's going to teach you to realign yourself with society. You know, when you make it sound like that, that's actually awesome sounding. <laughs> oh, I thought it was scary, like 1984, kind of. Take some Soma, man. There's no Soma in 1984. What's oh, Brave New World. Yeah, now you're talking. Yeah, well, you know, all that dystopian stuff. Yeah, well, I mean... Social work was invented when the clergy was no longer a force in the community. We are secular clergymen. That, that's really what the profession's about. So you used to have marital problems, and you'd go talk to your priest or your rabbi. And they would, you know, use the ancient wisdom to give you guys a sense of perspective and bring you closer together and smooth over the bumps and Whereas today, today you, go to, you go to the social worker who uses or a psychologist who uses the ancient wisdom to give you new perspective well, new wisdom yeah but the funny thing about new wisdom is they always find a way to make it ancient you ever notice that yeah well everybody needs their antecedents and right you can't like say i invented this new therapy I... no that's hip now people do that you know so-and-so invented narrative therapy. So yeah, but then they explain that they got it from such an idea, and then they quote, like, Dan Kierkegaard and, and, yeah, yeah. and, like, Socrates or something. At any rate, part of it is complimentary because prayer is meant to get away from that problem of you're only, you know, you're stuck in your own perspective, so what, you're, what you want is limited to what you see at the moment. And, and I think that's what a lot of these people mean when they talk about realigning yourself with the divine. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, it's also pointing out the limitations of such a thing because to realign yourself with the divine is still based on your conception of the divine. So in that sense, you're still stuck in what you know and how you think, and you can't get beyond that. Why th is that? Why why do we stay stuck? I don't understand the the reason. Like the actual I wouldn't say technical, but I don't understand how exactly it happens. So firstly, we would refer you to episode 2 of this really cool podcast called Holy Madness. <laughs> why do bad ideas happen eh, to you? Heard of it. It's not not that good. Oh, um, well, there we went from promoted. <laughs> we're getting a 50 point <laughs> bonus. Yeah, we're cutting. <laughs> how dare you? 
Um, but in that, in I believe the middle segment, we discuss in the in sorry in the last segment, we discuss why people get stuck in the ideas they have and how the only way out of those dead ends is to reconceive of everything completely, or kind of to go back to the last point that had another alternative and and move from there. Uh, but without getting into all that, I would say that why people are stuck in those things on one foot would be because that's all they know. We we are creatures of our intellect and imagination, which are really two sides of the same coin. And what you don't know, not only do you not know things, but you often don't know what you don't know. And if that's the case, you, all you have is, is what you got. Actually, there's... A that, that's being generous because, you know, you start with what you know and then you grow and you figure things out and like, oh, I was wrong and you keep going. But Sarah's question is... Why don't people do that? And specifically with regard to prayer, I think there's, I think one of the big blocks is theology. You think it's supposed to be this way. God's supposed to be like this. Well, I don't know I'm if theology like is the this. right word. I think it's ritual. I think it's both. But, you know, we talked about how one of the ways of approaching prayer is my God is an awesome guy. <laughs> For those of you who didn't catch that, I'm going to say it again because it's really funny. There's a beautiful uh, Christian prayer song called My God is an Awesome God. It is, it is gorgeous. If you're not familiar with it, you should acquaint yourself with the song. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of the Michael W. Smith version you can find on YouTube. My daughter, who obviously had never heard it in shul or synagogue before, <laughs> misheard the lyrics and thought they were My God is an Awesome Guy, which I thought was the funniest thing ever. So that was what Mary Simcha was referring to. And we. But we, that is very much how people will approach God. They say, you know, my idea of God is this and this and this because, you know, obviously this is the best case scenario for what God should be. And therefore, you know, that can't be violated. And so you get stuck in a particular concept of God and a particular way of approaching that because why would you do it any other way? You know, obviously, if things aren't working, you just need to do it more, right? Yeah, I think that's also why people don't want to believe that God doesn't exist because it kind of takes away this big guy in the sky um, solution to everything that every time somebody has a problem or something terrible happens, there's some tragedy, people say, well, God knows what he's doing. And they basically, they basically assume there's somebody always looking after them you just answered your first question <laughs> why do people pray that's Maybe. why because <laughs> oh, it's yeah. easier to blame god than it is to do it yourself that's a social worker's answer yep um not that but it's, it's also no it's but it's bad. also very i think true. it's a cynic's answer i do i do think that laziness is a big is a big part of it like okay not always you wouldn't always pray out of laziness but it's what you can do it's, it's the easiest solution it's hack your life kind of thing you're you know, totally you... right there's a big difference between the people who daven at six in the morning versus people who daven at 8 30 10 o'clock in the morning what's that difference the difference is that the people who roll into the minion at 10 a.m are people who are well either you know suffering from personal issues or you know People who don't really want to daven and it's, they feel alienated from it. It's just some ritual they have to do. And everything's just some ritual they have to do. And, you know, I'm going to do this because I'm a lazy bum and, you know, whatever. I guess that makes a lot of sense. So it's funny you bring that up because I think uh, the earliest minion I ever really attended outside of, like, school where I had to be up earlier and get in trouble was about 10 a.m. What? Yeah. In fact... We discovered that in the winter. Because that feel most of the time. Ooh, oh no. Because it really matters if, as you pointed out, you're going because you have to do it. Half ah, the time, okay. that was the point. You'd roll in, you'd put on your Talisman fill in, you'd say Shema and go, oh, it's after Zman Tefillah, so you'd take them off and drink a coffee. But, <laughs> but, 
I wanted to tell you, for for those that will understand the following terms and would get a kick out of them, Mayor Simcha is a heartfelt Jew because he did not grow up in in you know let's call it the crucible of Flatbush. Mayor I grew Simcha, up in a different Bible Belt. Yeah, Mayor Simcha. Do you know, especially in winter months, where Chatzot is fair, you know, midday is fairly early, and then you can do an early mincha, yes. that in Borough Park, you can catch an 11.30 shachris, a 12.15 mincha, and then you're done for and the day. Like 2.30 RV. No, and then like, like at like 2.30 a.m., you would do Mariv, uh, and that <laughs> would, you know, and that would be your day. But like this way, you only have to go out twice. This is also self-centered. Um, Yeah. It is, but as we were just discussing, a lot to a lot of people, it's really just this reflexive, in, in both sense of the term, kind of a, a reflex, in which this is what you do, and then you just do it, and for the purpose of it's being done, as opposed to any real sense of, you know, the person doing it. I'm put not it, sure I followed that. Uh, so put it this way. Two of the, the other answers that we got on that Facebook uh, discussion. One, we we called, you know, the, the different people said it was consciousness. Somebody said uh, prayer, the reason we pray is to become conscious. Somebody put it uh, as to differentiate ourselves from the animals, mm. which is also mm. the idea of consciousness. It seems to me... Strange that somebody would say that the, in the negative, of right? prayer is to differentiate ourselves from animals. It's like we're different from animals, so therefore we can pray. Yeah, but we're also different from animals, therefore we could drive a car. I wasn't sure. Well, okay, but it's like, what, you've got something to prove, therefore you're going to pray? Right. So I, I, what, the way I took it, and I happen to know, he's, he's a good friend of mine, so uh, the way I, I, I know, I think I know, what he was trying to say was exactly that that we are conscious and we have this added level of awareness of the universe over other life forms and that's expressed primarily in the ability to pray oh that's like to recognize right to recognize Ah. in terms of praise and to request thank you adam yeah you rock we need like theme music for adam So that was that was one of the things that also came up was the idea of consciousness, which as we were, you know, the, what we were just poking fun at the eleven fifteen morning services where people would just show up and drink a coffee. So it's, that's okay. obviously unconscious. Right. And then the other one, which which we both had a good laugh at because it was so pithy as to be understood to be itself and its opposite was somebody who said that the reason that we pray is because there's a commandment to pray. I thought that was brilliant. That's and I, Beryl. Right. So Beryl said to do the mitzvah. Beryl the commandment. Know, is, a, is a professor of philosophy. So in, that's the funny thing, because that's what happened. I saw that, and I took it to be cynical. I took it that that's... If you would stop any of those guys in the 1115 morning services, chakras, mm. that's what they would tell you. Why are you here? Because I have to be. <laughs> and then you told me he's a professor of philosophy, and I said, oh, what he's saying is something fantastically deep. Mm-hmm. The only reason that prayer makes a difference is because there's an invitation to pray from God. Right. Otherwise, you'd just be shouting into the void. Yeah. So, you he's know, actually... He's a farmer, by the way. I think a dairy farmer. I am sure. now extremely jealous of this man because he's two of the things that I would love to spend oh, my Beryl's life doing. Oh, like the pinnacle of humanity. Oh, that's awesome. One of the other things that came up, two of the other things that came up, and we grouped them separately, but they're they're like cousins. Uh, one was communication, and Where one I was grew up, connection. That makes them like siblings or <laughs> <laughs> <More> married. <laughs> For those of you going, I know him. He's not from Alabama. You're right. The two things were connection and communication, and and they are pretty linked. We connect to people by communicating with them. Um, for for connection, people spoke about directly connecting to God in a focused manner. People uh, talked about connecting to our hearts, 
and that's what God wants of us. That kind of fascinated me there. Because it's also, it's reflexive. Yeah. Well, okay, so background. The verb for, well, one of the many verbs in Hebrew for prayer, prayer is lehit palel, which is a reflexive verb. It the means, verb form is reflexive. The noun form is not. But but Na- the, Nouns generally aren't reflexive. Right. But the point is that it means to be palel yourself. But hold on. The reason or I point that paleled. out is because in this case, they're defining the noun. Ah, um, okay. Do you mean as in to l'shabach? As in to good questions. To, pray. To phrase, well, it's uh, to what make God feel good. Like, oh, thank you, God. I'm so happy. Is that what palal means? Uh, really? As far as I, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Maybe my I translation it, is wrong. I mean, for me, it it conjures up judgment. I'm gonna pause you both right there, five seconds, just to make it clear, because we're speaking Hebrew. So for those that don't. The word, as Mary Simcha pointed out, the word for prayer in Hebrew is tefillah. The verb conjugation of that word is lehit palel, which is reflexive. The uh, shoresh, the root of that word is palal. Sarah pointed out that in colloquial modern day Hebrew, palal is often understood to mean praise, to uh, extol, if you want a really musty word. That's how out of the loop I am. Well, that's the. I didn't really know that either. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Mary Simcha pointed out that to him the root brings a totally different mental picture, which was judgment. And I'm gonna now bring us back to where we were a second ago by asking you, why on earth does it do that? Do what? Why does Palal bring up a picture of judgment for you? Because of Pinchas. What about Phineas? Phineas. It's. I just love that name in English. Also because of the cartoon, Phineas and Ferb. Okay, so I'm also in brain science of other things, uh, among other things. Right, so you say Phineas, and I think of the famous case of Phineas who got, a, what was it, like a, a railroad stake s- in the brain Yeesh. and became one of the paradigmatic cases of brain damage and aphasia. And- so this Phineas put a stake in two other people. Oh, wow, I never thought so. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Wow! It's the mirror. I can't believe I never thought of that. Oh, fantastic! You're being like. But anyway, where I don't even know what quote verse you're obviously having in mind when you say yeah. But you say psalms like an unvoiced consonant should make you voice the s after it. Like I said, psalms. What country do you come from? Brooklyn. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, psalms to helium. Do you hear him? What? So back to that verse. V'yamod pinchas v'yifalel v'te'atzar ha'magifa. So that's from Tehillim 106. And, and Pinchas stood and was palel, and the plague stopped. That's from the official King Tzvi version of the Bible. <laughs> so if you look in the commentary of one of my favorite commentators, the Malbim, he associates the word v'yifalel to mishpat, which is, for lack of a better word in English, judgment. Yeah, so, sense of law. So Pinchas is judging what to do. He was in a tough situation there. He had to make a decision about, you know, what's going on here. Well, the truth is that that explains the seeming contradiction. For those of you who know the story in the Bible, uh, in the book of Numbers, it doesn't say anywhere that... that Pinchas, the Phineas, prayed. It says he just actually went, launched himself straight into action. Speared these guys. Yeah, and just stabbed this couple. It doesn't say anywhere that he prayed. And then suddenly in Psalms, please note accented S, it says he prayed, and then it doesn't even say he stabbed him. It just says, and that's when the, the plague stopped. So unless you're going to invent this contradiction... The idea of, and, and I think the word in English would be deliberation. Oh, okay. That's good. So that he, he, he stopped to weigh what it is that he could do, judge, and that's the sense of mishpat and judgment, what he should do, and then did it. And all of that is included in this uh, root of palal. And what's really interesting is that all the different responses that we got 
on the Facebook page, and we've referenced uh, uh, some of them, uh, but all of them uh, really revolved around these themes, mm-hmm. weighing the options, deliberating what to do, whether it's in terms of clarity, you know, whether, you know, we're talking chiropractically or consciousness-wise. We even had people that... That's... You're saying essentially that all the different responses that we got with all the different metaphors and uh, images for what you're doing are all essentially about... I'm saying that they all use... Mechanically, they would all involve these steps. Deliberation. Yeah. Working something out. Yeah. And then the clarity which ensues. This is a very psychological perspective on prayer. It, it is. And I don't... I'm not suggesting this is a definition of prayer i'm suggesting that this is a shared understanding of what the experience of prayer is like okay that's that's fair i guess to revert briefly to the facebook discussion the question that i posed there was what is the purpose of prayer and so to answer that question in a psychological fashion, for me, is strikes me as outright wrong. We had people who, one of the other uh, groupings you and I put together from the different responses was the one we called the No God grouping, where people gave purposes for prayer, which some of them even said this outright, right, right, right. would hold true if you were an atheist. Orthopractic. Yeah. Do the right thing. It has Well, no... for some of them it was orthopractic. Um some of the things we got, I'll I'll list a few it's right like now. Sociological even. We had some we, there was one person that pointed out the social points of prayer in terms of getting together with everybody and and the communal aspect of it. Male bonding. Well, only in a chauvinistic religion anyway. Right person on the other side of the curtain? Iron curtain. <laughs> <laughs> only only in the real ultra orthodox school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> true. But uh, but we had we had somebody mention it's kind of a pep talk to yourself. Mm-hmm. We had somebody mention that it was really a form of meditation. We had somebody mention the idea of putting out positive energy, like mm-hmm. you know the the thoughts and prayers thing that you find all over social media after a disaster. I respect their response, but like, what the hell is that supposed to mean? So I I took it, it's funny that these are our reactions, and it's even more ironically funny based on our life stories, because you did not, and and obviously I don't mean this in any kind of insulting way, but you didn't grow up religious. Uh, Go ahead, insult me. Fine, you're a prick. <laughs> but that's not relevant. Well, you didn't say insult me relevantly. <laughs> but you didn't grow up religious, and therefore, in many ways, and I've told you this before, and I'm happy to put this out in, in front of other people. You have a much better sense of clarity about our uh, religion and tradition, precisely because of that. But I did, and as I mentioned before, I was one of those eleven fifteen throw on your talus and fillin that's a prayer shawl and phylactery um phylactery comes from well phylacteries there are two uh (laughs) it comes from the greek word meaning guard really yes why good question what about leather boxes is about guard? Because people looked at them as like some kind of magic charm that's supposed to protect you. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah. That's that's cool. But anyways, I was one of those guys that threw on his towels and fill and we called it wrap and strap. <laughs> right? Did you wrap and strap today? Wrap oh, and strap. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah, well that actually kind of conjures up the idea of like Lock being in the, in the guard, right? Lock and load, wrap and strap. So, you know, I'd I'd wrap and strap at eleven. And uh, mutter some of the prayers, whatever, kind of caught my fancy that day. And then I'd take them off, drink a coffee, and I'd start learning something in Torah because I was there anyway. And, you know, most shuls have a nice library. Um, And that spoke to me more. Learning spoke to me more on a spiritual level Mm -hmm. than prayer did. Um, Hold on, stop. Sarah, learning, prayer, what do you think? I think they're two different things because prayer is more of a consciousness 
thing and learning is I mean, depending on what you define as learning, but learning is just taking in new information. So I actually found it experientially to be the opposite. Prayer was just doing something, but learning was something that expanded my consciousness. Because if you take a new piece of information and you integrate it into your worldview, that's a totally different level of seeing the world than you did five minutes ago. Rattling off words. I agree with that. But a wrap and strap kind of misses the point because if the entire point of praying is consciousness, then if, if it misses the point, if it... To answer the question I think you're trying to ask, prayer is an active changing of consciousness. Learning is a passive changing of consciousness. One is what you express, and one is what you import. Okay. Hmm. One's put out, one's brought in. I'm not sure about that. On one foot, I think it would describe the difference. They're both technically about changing your consciousness, but one, the arrow is pointing at you, and one, the arrow is pointing out from you. I don't want to overdo the comparison of tefillah, of Jewish prayer, and meditation, but on this particular point, when I'm sitting and doing, uh, let's say, breathing meditation, there's a breath going out of me. I'm concentrating on that breath in the same way that my focus is on the words that are coming out of my mouth when I'm doing tefillah. But it's not just expressive. The whole point is everything that leads to that expression. Everything that comes behind that. So... And we mentioned Adam before, and he's going to be really happy that I'm bringing this up. Uh, Rebbe Nachman. We need, like, theme music for Adam. (laughs) Rebbe Nachman, the Hasidic master of the Breslov tradition spiritual genius yeah i guess that's a better way to put it uh so he actually talks all the time about the need to make your torah tefillah oh yeah and your tefillah torah i I think that was kind of what you're touching on but to kind of pull this back a second the reason i brought that up in terms of I, i would just learn something instead of praying was to you prayer was something conscious to me, and I think what Sarah was saying a moment ago, is that it's not. It's something horribly ritualistic. My conception of prayer, from what I learned, in terms of the education I got and the education I received experientially from my community, was cosmic flattery. Hmm. Oh, Lord, you are great, and you are mighty, and you are awesome. Did I mention you're great yet? And what exactly is the difference between great, mighty, and awesome? Yeah, it doesn't even matter, you know. But like, you know, and then you'd then you'd say that in another way, and then you'd bring in like something new a little bit, and you'd be like, oh, and, uh, and you do this. You make the rains fall. And did I mention awesome yet? <laughs> it, it, it and and you're just like, what kind of god? God, you really kick ass. Right, but like, I mean, I, you know, you, everybody kind of, look, our, our, we talked in a different podcast, we touched on this in passing, the concept mm. of our understanding of the divine comes from our experiences. We talked about metaphors. We even used the verse, mm. yes. from my flesh I see the Lord. I understand the Lord. We, we pointed out the, yeah. ver- the root has both meanings implied. And... I would sit there and be like, what kind of God wants to be worshipped in such a way? Yeah, which should reflect back on yourself and you say, well, that oh, was the... I guess I'm not doing it right. Well, that's how it should have gone. But because there's this ritualistic presentation of it, that this is the way things are, mm-hmm. that's the way God is. Whether you like it or not or agree with it or not, this is what he said you should do, that's his will, and that's it. And if you don't do it, it's you're not doing his will, not maybe the understanding of his will might be flawed. Well, to be charitable in general, 
you know, you would look at your ritual, at your obligation, and you'd say, well, I feel this way or that way about it. And if my feeling is not utter enthusiasm about this, enthusiasm, by the way, is also from Greek. It means in theo, like in God. To be enthusiastic is to be full of God. Prophecy, the way it's described. Yeah. Full of the Spirit of God. Yes. Wow. Yeah, beautiful, right? Yeah. So um, if you're less than utterly enthusiastic about a mitzvah, then you should say, well, what do I have wrong here? But now we're going in the Well, it's amazing you bring that up "Mm." because I think I'm about to merge my point and yours, I think. Okay. We've hinted at this, but we've never said it outright. The reasons given for prayer in our tradition, there are two of them. And as almost always, we discussed this in the uh, explanation of the oral law, the Torah Shabal Peh, where seeming arguments are facets of a underlying reality. No, they aren't. <laughs> <laughs> the two reasons given, one is that the patriarchs, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, instituted that we have these three prayers. And the other one is now that the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, I hate that translation for reasons we touched on in the Jerusalem episode. This is a very self-referential episode six, I must say. The Beit HaMikdash, the temple, was destroyed, so what takes the place what takes the place of the temple service is our prayers. Now, the word for service is avodah. Yeah, I would say, hey, there's another thing going on here, which is let's go back to Adam and the avodah of Adam, which we are not going to go into on this episode. But as long as you're ticking off reasons for... For those that see the reference, yeah, we'll put that in front of you. That's fair. It says... In the beginning, that Adam Adam was created la avodatadama to work the world, um, and that's a reference to prayer vamevinyavin. But that sense of avoda avoda comes up somewhere else in in Torah mm-hmm. in the Bible, mm-hmm. and that is at the end of Moshe's list of you better behave or else. Uh, what we call the Tochacha, where it says, hmm. If you're not, the way most people translate in English, which is wrong, is essentially, if you're not going to serve me in happiness, go serve your enemies. It's not what it says. It says, because you have not done your avoda. In, in Simcha, with this sense of enthusiasm, as you described it. Mm. So then your avodah will wind up being for your enemies. Ah, that's beautiful how you're saying it. So that sense of avodah, that sense of what is a man's, what, what are we doing? The word. Uh, what the, is anybody doing ever? Right. No, but that that's really it. I know. That's that's what prayer is about. The reason I, I took this cute Why are little... are you davening? That's the thing, though. It's yes. really never... I noticed it's not about the thing. What makes something good is what's behind it. Mm. It's not about the prayer. It's about the meaning behind it. It's not about saying the actual words. If I say modani and I don't mean a word of it, it doesn't count. But if I don't say the actual words modani in the morning... saying thank you god and instead i use i use um other words so amazing <laughs> grace something like that yeah i would totally sound like that yeah you have a great but, baritone <laughs> yes but if i wake up in the morning and i say hey 
my life is really great, or I really appreciate these people, or this thing that I have. Rise and shine and give God <laughs> your glory, glory. <laughs> so I, I would say that counts much more. Like I, I can say modani, but it's it's a ritual. It doesn't mean anything unless unless I actually mean it, unless I want it. Hmm. So that that sense, I think, if I can paraphrase what you're saying, to use the same words, the same terminology that we were using a second ago, if it's your avoda, it's it's your not your doing in the sense of I did this as opposed to being done, but if this is an, an expression of me, then it's something. And if it's just a thing for its own sake, and it has nothing to do with me, then there's nothing there at all. That's the avodah that we're describing. The emotional reason, work. part of it's emotional, but but the truth is it really isn't. And, and I'm gonna I'm gonna explain the reason I made sure to frame this in terms of avodah, in terms of this, what are you doing, is because we have a wonderful book in our rabbinic tradition that is called Mesilat Yesharim, which is always mistakenly translated as the path of the just, but it's not the just, it means the straight ones. Or in colloquial English, we would call this book the way of those who have their heads screwed on straight. Yes. And it's he, not an anti-LGBTQRSTUV thing. It's just having your head screwed, screwed yeah, straight. Yeah. We are going to get a lot of hate mail for that one. Um, no publicity is bad. <laughs> <laughs> so he opens his book. The very first chapter is titled Klal Avodat Adam Ba'olamo. What is the purpose of... What is the clause? Not purpose. What principle. is the, the the underlying principle of man's avodah in his world? And he explains in in beautiful language, very worth looking at it. And and for our Jewish religious listeners, you've definitely seen this before. And I highly recommend you read it again, and just let the words speak for themselves instead of doing that thing we do where we shoehorn what we know into the words we see. Um, he, he very clearly explains that the point is that without knowing where you stand, you will never know what you're doing. He even describes two forms of blindness to explain that it's really about seeing mm -hmm. where you stand. I love this part. Go for it. So the two forms of blindness are, on one hand, just things being dark. You don't see anything at all. Right. And then on the other hand, things being obscured so that you can confuse one thing for another. Right. So you'll see, you know, we this happens to us all the time. You you enter from a light room to a dark room, and until your eyes adjust, you see things totally different. Everything crazy. Yeah. You know, what's that in the corner? That's me in the corner. The point is, yeah, he, he goes through this whole thing about the, the effects of these different forms of, of blindness. Obviously, these are metaphorical. But, you know, the funny thing about prayer, and no one mentioned it on Facebook, and to you and I, when we started developing the, the framework for what we wanted to do mm -hmm. with this podcast, yeah. was it's not the definition of prayer. But it very much winds up being its purpose hmm. is to reframe where you stand. We have in our tradition uh, this weird, almost no one understands this, this, this story. It's not even a story. It's an anecdote about how the pious of old, we're talking Talmudic times, it's 2,000 years ago, would spend an hour pre-prayer in this kind of meditation and then an hour in prayer, and then another hour coming hour down. Coming down, yeah. Because and the point is, this is not meditation the way we have it today. It's not about centering yourself, and it's not about you know. Uh, no, it's about awareness for some kind of meeting or intimacy. Right. It was a, a way of putting yourself in a space 
And then it took an hour to get out of that space so they can go back to your, your the world we live in. Before we go on, I want to return to what Sarah was saying before, because when you were commenting about that, you brought up, in my mind, one particular word, which is kind of hackneyed today, but it's authenticity. And if you, for my third dosage of Greek etymology today, <laughs> authenticity comes from autos. I. Reflexive yourself. Yeah. Right here. And um, a word meaning to um, do or to make. And that goes back to Indo-European meaning uh, apparently to achieve. So to be authentic is to achieve yourself. And so when you were talking about you know, what you're hoping to achieve in, in Modani, in your waking up in the morning, the prayer of waking up, you know, yeah. it's not enough to just say some words. You're looking to really achieve yourself. So in that funny way, maybe the closest, certainly colloquial English, translation of Abuda would be authenticity. To authenticate. That's interesting. But that authenticity, as, as I started saying, is predicated on an awareness of where you stand. And now we're going to come really full circle because Sarah pointed out for 50 bonus points in a promotion how we have mentioned in the past that the real question is not who are you, but where are you? In order to achieve anything, to accomplish anything, you need to be in the proper arena to do it. Well, now go back to where Sarah started at the very beginning. Right. You opened yeah. up with, why would you pray when you could go out there and do something toward your expressed goal? And my gut reaction to that is that the prayer is really about finding out where you are such that you would do such a thing. It's about putting that action in context. Listen, evolution will do almost everything. You know, it'll evolve eyes. It'll involve pretty intelligent behavior, culture among whales and dolphins. It's amazing what animals can do. You're going to add something special with human consciousness. It better be a sense of not just this is what I need to do, but this is the place where I am. This is where this action means something. It isn't worth achieving that thing unless it's part of your life. Yeah, everything becomes futile in a sense. This is Kohelet. This is Ecclesiastes. Oh, you do this, you do that, you make a million dollars, you make a billion dollars. And what's the point? You, you know, have a thousand wives, whatever it is. What does it matter? Nothing matters. It's you know, vanity of vanities, vapor of vapor, uh, futility of futilities. Nothing makes any sort of difference. Everything just goes round and round. You know, the late Bronze Age was pretty good for civilization. Everything collapsed. You know, we'll do it again now. Who cares? Like, it better mean something to you. It better, the place where you are better speak to you. It can't just be about what you do. It better be about where we are. Yeah, I think that's actually on point because... I think For that once I said something. <laughs> I was, I was really thinking. You put it really well into words because I think that I think that it's not about who a person only is now. It's also where did he come from? Because it's about if a person is at a level five, but he came from a level one, then he is much better off than someone than someone that was at a level two and came to level five you're saying it's about it's, momentum no yeah, it's it, about it's, accomplishment yeah it's it's about ah. it's about who you were before look if you it's have two people in the same yourself. college class right mm -hmm. one of them was born with the, sil the proverbial <laughs> silver spoon and his parents were both highly educated people he inherited a wonderful iq and coasted his way through college through high school and coasted his way through college and attended 60 percent of his classes because that's what he needed to do and he graduates to 3.6 gpa that's nice you're talking about yourself Yes. And the guy sitting next to him grew up in a horrible, crime-ridden, uh, drug-infested, low-income area 
His parents were users and, and pushers and dealers and were in and out of prison. And he shunted around the foster home system. And, uh, you know, I don't know, we'll throw in that he overcame childhood cancer or something. Why not? And, and you both wind up with the same degree. One of those, obviously, we all would agree, is a much bigger accomplishment. Yeah. I think that's what Sarah's talking in terms yeah. of levels. Yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. Well, yeah, it's about how it's about how steep the mountain you're climbing or walking down is. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a good question because look, if everybody if everybody's self-worth was defined by where they are right now, they probably wouldn't be worth as much as as they really are. I don't, I don't really There's know. also more to it than that. You mentioned it's where you come from, but it's also where you're going. Yeah, it's it's about what direction you're going. It's about whether you're going and so now that we put together where did you come from and where did you go? I was the, emphasizing place. It's interesting to me that you're now emphasizing the process that occurs in that context. Yeah, because the play, everything is relative. If, mm -hmm. Well, this is why we, we have the tradition you should never say the same prayer twice. I just learned something. So in the Mishnah Bavot, you have uh, Rabbi Shimon, the student of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who says, you know, don't make your tefillah keva. Don't make your prayer fixed. Don't say the same thing every day. Which is kind of funny, given that we literally say the same prayers out of a book that are fixed every day. 18. No, 19. <laughs> exactly. But obviously, besides that Mishnah, which means something completely different, uh, in terms of what fixed means. But there's a Gemara, which uses a different terminology that I just mentioned. Don't say the same prayers all the time. E each prayer is different because where you're standing is different because, as you pointed out, where you're coming from is different. And your conception of where you want to go, hopefully, is different too. Even if it's just a bigger, better, more detailed and understood picture, that's, that's still different. So... To kind of bring this all full circle and, and, and wrap it up with a little bow on top, prayer is entering into a space in which you stand before God. We had one last thing from our Facebook comments, and Acharon Acharon Chaviv, the last is the most beloved. Cyrus defined the purpose of prayer as intimate interaction with God regardless of what the prayer is about. Yes. And that is the space. The space of intimacy. Exactly. Intimacy requires a space. We talk about the bedroom. We even tub. talk about the Holy of Holies in the temple. The Kodesh HaKadoshim in the Beit HaMikdash is, is called in prophets as the bedroom, bedroom because it's the place of intimacy and the place of prayer the space of prayer is that intimate space in which one enters for a few moments each day and to bring what Beryl the philosophical dairy farmer said in 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 its proper and most beautiful context that's what the commandment is I'm inviting you to this shared space this stand is why. Here. Please, come. Yeah, be come here. stand here in front of me, with me, and let's talk. No different than those of us who are lucky and have a significant other in our lives. Come home from work, drop our bag, sit down with the person that matters most, and just talk. It doesn't even matter about what. Of course, us married men know it is very important to praise your significant other a little bit. <laughs> you are great and you are mighty and you're awesome, etc. Jokes aside, it's about where you stand. And so, Sarah, did we answer your question? Yeah, I think that about covers it. Ayeka. For now. Ayeka. Yeah. Where are you? That was God's question to man as he was... Gently escorted out from the Garden of Eden to this world. That is a question that is still standing, waiting to be answered. And that is the question that hopefully... Echa. 
and living our lives, we will become the answers too. And on that note, to end with a question, Ayaka, where are you? Where are you now? Where are you now? Do you ever think of me in the quiet, in the crowd? Ever think of me in the quiet, in the crowd?